We'll, we are walking through this book called Mark. So if you have a Bible or your tablet or phone and you want to follow along, just look over at Mark chapter 7. And each week there's an installment, there's a lesson, lessons that we're learning about the life of Jesus Christ. And Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, and he has his favorite term that I've told you almost every week immediately that he uses 41 times that Jesus does something magnificent. This morning is no different in some of these stories that I tell. As you look here with me, it's just, it's amazing to me every time that I read these. Mark was apparently so impressed or more impressed with the mighty works of Jesus than maybe the content, and his content was rich. He was the son of God. But he would record these miracles so we could read them today and these deeds that Christ had performed among the people all over the land. That same Christ that walked there in Israel walks with us today through our lives. And there uh, is a time here, there's a, a, a collision between Christ and the Pharisees. And we'll talk, we, we don't seem to talk real favorably a lot of times of the Pharisees. And sometimes we have a little Pharisee in us, and that's probably not real good. Although you will learn that the Pharisees started out not such a bad sect when they first started. They, they wanted to be separate. They really wanted to be for the purposes of God. But somewhere along the way, they, they lost their compass. They lost their mark, and things got messed up. But for us, what we say so many times around here, the only hope that we have is the hope that we find in Jesus. And Mark continually points us to this Messiah, to this Savior. And that's where we find ourselves in, in the seventh chapter as you look there. And yet the Pharisees, they come with a big goal. They want to entrap Jesus. He is doing something that got over them because what you will learn this morning, they were so committed to tradition. They were so committed to the Talmud, to, to rules, to ritual following, that it was more important than anything in their life. And yet they considered themselves to be extremely, extremely religious or godly, but Sometimes they didn't do that. They had, they had rules for everything. They had rules for how they would wash cups and pitchers and vessels and couches. And everything had to be kosher according to the oral tradition, the oral law of the day of the Jews. So when you hear this, they start out in Babylonian captivity, the, the Pharisees do. And they move along into this point where as Ezra and Nehemiah go into the land, they go, but we do want to be separatists. We, we do want to be separate for the purposes of God. But they find themselves so mixed up, and sometimes it happens to us along the way. This oral tradition that I talk about today, it got extended throughout the generations, and definitely in that day, and they thought that this was the, the high law of God that they uh, positioned over the law of God, and they held it, it, it at least as, as important, but for a lot of them, it was the most important. And today, let's put it maybe in the world we walk in, it's easy to get caught up in tradition. I thought about this this morning. Traditions. I, I like traditions, and I, yet I started a contemporary church with my wife 22 years ago. And contemporary means it's ever-changing, and I like change, and I don't like change. But there's traditions that I like. And I, let me listen to me. I bet there's changes or traditions that you like in your life. My youngest and I will kid about it because we seem to be a little more traditionalist over the ones in our immediate household as we've expanded now. We had a harder time with some things changing like Christmas. How many of you have Christmas traditions? Just hold your hands high. And do you want anybody to mess with them? No, because they're like sacred light. And as life changes and people get older and they add to the family and things move and age and all that, traditions change. We have a tradition today. 
We have been gathering in the house of God at Christ Community for 22 years. People have been gathering for thousands of years in temples and synagogues and churches and public acts of worship. This is tra a tradition. Traditions can be extremely good. And how many of you would say, yeah, and we like some tradition. But there's some traditions that they probably need to die or they need to go or somehow they get elevated above that which God has for us. Now here, for them, their ritual, their tradition, they wanted to nullify the word of God. They wanted it to be supreme. So right here, fill in with me the first point. Holiness is an inside job. Now, you're, I know you're going, well, he's a preacher. He's going to say something religious. He's going to say something holy because that's what he does. Well, that's right. But that's for all that will follow Jesus Christ. Holiness is that thing that which God works on the inside of man and woman, boy or girl, and it, it, it has an evidence that it gets expressed outwardly as he works inside of us. And the scripture says to be holy. Without holiness, the scripture says in one place, no one sees the Lord. See, God, God is into this holy thing that we get separate for his purposes. Now, I'm not trying to say we're a bunch of do-gooders or we want to be self-righteous or we want to be Pharisees. That's not good. But we do want to be holy because God says, I am holy. Be like me. And I find that I can't be holy. I don't think any of you can be holy on your own. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are grateful this morning for the Holy Spirit in your life? Yeah, if you've got Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. If you don't have Christ... There's an opportunity. I remember when I was 19 years old when I received Christ and the Holy Spirit came to dwell and mark and change my direction and things began to look different. Did I get it all together? No. Do I have it all together now? No. But I am ever changing through the power and the presence of the living Christ. So here it is. I think he would just say to us, hey, I, I want you to be holy. I, I want you to lean into me. I want you to strain toward me. I want you to find me. In Isaiah, though prophet, the first chapter, the 18th verse, there's this little verse that says this. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Those, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they should be as wool. All you Alabama fans love that when you say, and it shall be as crimson. I know, you, you, I know, see, you think, and I'm doing that just for you because you're having surgery tomorrow, okay? And she think that's the, thinks that's the anointed verse of God. Your sins shall be as crimson. But Christ does wash over that. But let's turn right here. Seventh chapter, look at the first verse. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. And the Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they had poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. And, and similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. And this is but one of the many traditions that they clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? And they eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Let's just underline that. You hypocrites. Jesus is offensive. And I told you that last weekend. I'm going to tell you again from the word of God. Sometimes people are like, well, you know, I know I need God. I know I need Christ. But sometimes Jesus could be a little offensive. You know, we, you know what? He is. He comes to proclaim his father's eternal kingdom. He comes to proclaim the narrow road. And sometimes it's offensive to my sin to my sin nature and i need to be called out and some of you go yeah we do 
So he, he upsets the apple cart. He upsets these people because they're like, what? Man, they don't, even, they don't even wash their hands. They don't even do it right. And, they're all, and they have all these things. And, and like they have cup hands and they let the water run over. And they let it run down their elbows. And they get all these different rules. And you read in Leviticus, you read about all this dietary law and stuff. But they are so saturated with tradition and with rules that you got to do it this certain way. And they thought that cleanliness, clean hands, equaled godliness. And that, that doesn't happen. We can look all holy on the outside because we took a shower, because we're clean, but yet our hearts can be so distant and cold and callous and adulterous and murderous and just full of sin. Like right now, I mean, my, heart, my heart's prayer is that we would say, God, I want to be like you. God, I fall so short, but God, I want to know you and I want to lean into you. You go, man, that's a great place to be. Or you could go, you know, I don't know. Man, I look good on the outside. It's like a pig. If you take a pig and you put lipstick on it, it's still a pig. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's still just an ugly, gnarly pig. I know somebody goes, I got upset. I like pigs. I remember, I don't know if I ever told you this. One time I was uh, speaking in New York. I flew into New York. This guy picked me up. He was an Asbury graduate. He found himself in Albany, New York. And he, he came over to get me. And we were headed to this retreat center. I was doing student ministry. And he goes, Hey, we need to run by the house. And we ran by the house and he opened the front door. Now, you, you don't ever know, you know, people open the front door and here comes their dog. Here comes their cat. True story. I cannot make this stuff up. I open the front door and a pig attacks me. I freaked out. I had to go in to get a change of clothes. It was just messing me up, man. I'm not used to greeting people and a pig. And then he goes, don't you like my pet pig? And I just had this look. He goes, you're not really into pigs, are you? I go, no, I'm really not. And the rest of the car ride with him, I'm thinking, this brother's weird. I wonder where he's taking me. Okay, so here he is. But pigs, they're just that. But move on through here. I want you to see this. Holiness is an inside job. Look at the second blink. Religion focuses on, focuses on surface issues. I've never invited people to be religious because I think Jesus didn't, didn't call us to religion. Give me some of that old-time religion. I understand the concept, Okay. But at the end of the day, religion is man attempting to connect and reach God. But in relationship, God reaches down to us in the person of Christ. God's not into religion. And religion, man, religion can get archaic. Religion can get filled with rules and rules. How many of you would like, like to walk around here with a big old book of rules and go, you violated 673, and then you did 339, and then you did 221. I'm like, oh, man. Religion's dead. And it's just, it, 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 it addresses, in this situation, the ritual, the outward ceremonial, if you will, washing. And it's not what God had for him. It's just, God, God had so much more for him. Religion, you want to take notes, it looks for loopholes. Religion's always trying to think, how can I get away with this? How can I earn God's favor? As a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have people a lot of times because of having an earthly priestly position, they want to know if I will bless it somehow thinking that that favors God, that that's God's favor and I will do it. And people are always asking me, will you bless this? Will you do this? Can I do this? And I'm thinking, well, I wish you would just ask Jesus. I wish you would just read your Bible, but you know, you try to lead them, direct them because we, we want to feel good about that, which we do. Do we not? I mean, I, I, everybody wants to hopefully feel good about what you do. But yet we got to look to Christ and not religion. And religion, you know what else it does? It looks for loopholes. 
It always looks for some way that I can maybe pull it over on God, but we don't, we're not able to do that. See, these Jews, these Pharisees, they didn't have worship in their heart. They had outward circumstance. They had clean hands. They had clean arms. They were ceremonial clean. But man, their hearts were far from God. And God wanted our heart. You know, this morning in 2018, that's what God wants. He didn't want perfect people. I mean, he'd like for us to be perfect, but we're not. We're going to fall short. But he wants us to lean in and press in just, just to know him. So this holiness, I'll just say this. Holiness has always been and always, always will be a matter of the heart. And Jesus comes to address the heart. In my heart, I find my wickedness. Jeremiah said one day, the heart is deceitful above all things. Have you ever noticed your heart? Oh, I hear this all the time. Oh, bless their heart. Yeah, okay. And, oh, they had such a good heart, Pastor. I'm thinking, well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we don't. Especially when I'm standing in lines at funerals. Maybe once I'm doing, maybe once I go to, nobody goes, oh, they had such a good heart. And then I'm, not, I'm telling the truth. A lot of times people will turn around and look at me and they go, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. Have, have you ever been to a funeral and you heard this sermon preach about this person? And you thought, who are they talking about? Like, that ain't the person. I mean, one time this guy, he, he, had a, he had a service going on, and they got through, and one of the family members walked up and said, you know what, he was a son of a gun. That preacher lied. There was, I saw a T-shirt the other day. It says, live your life in such a way that the preacher won't have to lie about you at your funeral. I'm thinking, well, man, I, I'm not going to lie. People ask me all the time, what do you do with people that live really immoral, questionable, ugly lives? I just boast on Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I, I just, I, and I try to say something nice like, you know, they cut the grass. It was, they did a nice job. <laughs> or people say, well, my, my mama, she had a flower pot and it bloomed once a year. Oh, you bless your mama. She had a green thumb for Jesus, you know? Just all this making up stuff. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me get back to the text here. Yeah, here it is. I think this will help you. The, the Pharisees, they gave lip service, but their hearts were way off. It's easy to give lip service to God. But God will find you out. God knows me. God knows you. And God says, I want to change you. I want to I do it in a beautiful way here that I honor you, that you honor me, that you put me first. You know, all through the book of Acts, you see all this liberty of the, of the new believers and how Christ is changing their lives and, and the miracles that you're talking about miracles. That's where you find so many miracles of Jesus Christ. And yet, as we walk through this book of Mark, we're finding stories here that are redemptive. That it, it, but this whole thing, like Isaiah talked about hypocrites, Jesus called out hypocrites. Here's the deal. We've all got some hypocrisy. I understand that. But our goal is we want to move toward Christ and ask Christ to remove those things that are barriers to him and get close to him. I, I tell you what's going to happen this trip in Mexico. If some students are open, God's going to speak to their lives. He's going to do some significant things in your kids' lives. Every time I've taken kids and adults on the mission field, things just tend to happen at a higher rate. I think because you get out of your routine, you get out of your pattern, I, I, I challenge you teenagers right now, and now you're going, ah, man, I can tell you're old, man, what, what, what's your problem? Don't 
marry your phone on the mission trip. Try to put it down. I'm not saying don't take it, but I'm just saying, when you're on the house and Blake's saying, I want you to put the roof on, you go, Blake, just hold on a minute. I got to talk to my mama. Man, just, just pack it up. Leave it back in the room. Put it in your pocket. Just say, hey, for the next six hours, I'm going to try to focus on God. I'm going to see if God's got anything to say. And you might be surprised. And all the kids go, I hate you. Because you're like, I want to take a selfie because I'm going to be looking good. Hey, take all the selfies you want if you're into it, okay? Or what's be even better, get somebody else to take a picture of you, you know? And you're going to have lots of opportunities. But I pray you get the right attitude here. But all moving through here, here's what I tell you. Move on down here in verse 6. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesies about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. There it was. They elevated it above. For you ignore God's law. You substitute your own tradition. In verse 9, look at this. And then he says, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. Let's don't circle the word sidestep if it's that. In, that's the New Living Translation, what it says. God doesn't want us to sidestep his grace or what he's doing. He wants to give us something for us. But move on down here. Verse 10, for instance, Moses gave you the law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. That was a harsh penalty there. Verse 11, but you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you counsel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is the only one example, it's only one example among many others. There was a term called Corbin, and basically you made this vow, and you could not care for your parents. And, and God's always called us living in the home, and when our parents are old and aging, to honor our father and mother that it might go well with your soul. And the church said, and some of you go, I want to do that. Some of you are like, oh, man, my mama's mean, my daddy's mean. Well, the Bible talks about respect and honor but they would make these vows and then they would go and and they would spend this money on whatever they wanted to and it was an irrevocable vow the vow of corbin whenever they made this vow and they weren't caring for something that god had taught a long time ago about honoring your father and your mother um, let me see if this thing's gonna come up here what you believe determines how you behave which determines what you become i want you to i want you to write that down i love this quote it's really really true what do you believe? What, do you, what are you becoming? I pray, man, you're saying, man, I'm becoming like Christ. I'm, I'm becoming more like my Father in heaven. Man, I was like this. I'm on a road. I'm on a path. You know, that's what Christianity is. It's a path to God. It's getting on the, the, the path and following Christ daily and hoping to achieve and become like him. And it's a daily work of grace. It's God's grace. It's God's sustaining. It's God's power. The heart here that I keep talking about is the center. It's the control center. It's the steering wheel of your life. And that's what God wants to change in me and you. He's like, man, you, just, you, you need a heart change. You need a heart tune-up. You need a heart recalibration. You recalibrate something, you get it adjusted. And I think that's what church, I hope, does for you on the weekends. It just helps you focus on the things that are important to God from his word and you begin to say, God, help me get an alignment. Yesterday, I took Donna's vehicle for an alignment. 
And it was riding down the road. No, it, wasn't. it, it was hardly out of the line. But I do that about every 10,000 miles. It, it tends to save money in the long run. Unless, how many of you just love to buy tires all the time, right? So if you align your vehicle and it gets an alignment, it just it performs like it's created. Our hearts are that way. When we align with our creator, when we align with our redeemer, life just goes better. But you and I, if we tell, but there's some traditions and some of them are not good traditions and I'm going to follow them and I'm going to put them above God. You go down the path that God's like, no, that's not what I have for you. Listen to this story. I, I read this and I thought it was good. It's called Don't Take Me to the Hospital. I thought it was a great title. The scene didn't make sense, but there he lay in the street bleeding, the hit-and-run driver gone. He needed medical help immediately, yet he kept pleading, don't take me to the hospital, please. It surprised everyone. They asked why. Pleadingly, he answered, because I'm on the staff at the hospital, and it would be embarrassing for them to see me like this. They've never seen me bleeding and dirty and my hair out of place. They always see me clean and healthy, and now I'm a mess. But the hospital is for people, listen to this, like you. Can't we call an ambulance? No, please don't. I took a pedestrian safety course, and the instructor would criticize me for not paying attention and getting hit. But who cares about the, what the instructor thinks? You need attention. But there's other reasons. When I get to the hospital, the admissions clerk would be upset. Well, why would the admissions clerk be upset? Because she always gets upset if anyone for a minute doesn't have all the details that she needs to fill out the records. I didn't see who hit me. I don't know the make of the car. I don't know their license number. I'm duped. She wouldn't understand. She's a real stickler for records. Worse than that, I haven't got my Blue Cross card with me. What real difference would that make? Well, if you don't recognize this, recognize me in this mess, they wouldn't let me in. They won't admit anyone in any shape without a Blue Cross card. They must be sure it isn't going to cost the institution. They protect the institution. They pull, they pull me over to the curb and I'll make it some way. It's my fault that I got hit. With this, he tried to crawl to the gutter. And everyone leaving him alone. Maybe he made it. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he's still trying to stop his own bleeding. He's trying to care for himself. But does this strike you as a strange, ridiculous story? It does. But here is the parallel of the church. Listen. It could happen in a typical church this weekend. Someone asked active Christians, what would you do if on a Saturday night I got hit? And I got run over by son except unacceptable sin. I just went down the path of destruction and I just went dumb. Without exception, I'm sure wouldn't want to go to church the next morning. Because there everybody would see me. And let's be honest, would you want to come? The members there at the church, they would ostracize me. They would look at me. They would be self-righteous. They would judge me. They would get on me for not learning, not doing the right thing. They'd call me a dirty saint. But it would be better off to go down to the local pool hall. It'd be better off to go down to the local bar instead to the church because there I find sympathy and there I find understanding and there I find love and compassion. But here's a question. Where would you go? And this is my prayer for a long time. God, would you make this house a place of refuge and safety? 
where people can come in all messed up, bleeding emotionally, spiritually, don't have it together, but somehow by the power of the Holy Spirit, God sweeps in, he begins, begins to heal those wounds, he begins to transform, and he gets to make you new. How many want to be a part of a church like that? That's the living church of the Jesus Christ that he wants but if I'm not careful, me and you, we can make it a place that, man, sinners ain't going to show up here because we'll just be so hard on them. We want to tell them the truth because we're commanded to by Scripture. But we let Christ do his work and we pray for the work of the Spirit that God would do a new work and he would do something beautiful in the safe place here. So hypocrisy. Isaiah talked about it. Jesus talked about it. It's really a failure to worship. It's something that we think we're pretending to be something we're not having any intention of being. We're a, a poser, a pretender. And that's what I pray today, that God, somehow by your mercy, you would work with me and my friends and guests that have gathered today, and you'd give us a, a new path, a new, a new destination, a new journey, that we'd follow after you. And we'd be pleasing in your sight, God. It would be awesome. But look what the scripture says. It's amazing. Flip all the way over to verse 20. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and adultery and greed and wickedness and deceit and lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these are vile things. They come from within. They're what defile you. And you're saying, man, you're kind of being hard. Well, you see, you can never appreciate the grace of Jesus unless you see how bad our sin is to a holy God. But in the contrast, when I see his grace and mercy and I see my falling short and my sin and my wickedness, and when they collide, there's transformation. And the church said, that's what God wants to do. I'm not coming here to judge anybody. Who am I to judge? Man, I've come here to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. That's what Mark, all through, you, you see Jesus would show up in a village, and man, the village would change. The people would be healed of their diseases. It would just get awesome for these people, their response to the goodness of God. And there's a response that would worship. That's what I pray today. You came to a worship experience. We had some great praise songs on the front end. Some of them were new to us today. You might say, man, they were all new to me. But I promise you, if you come with us over a period of time, that will begin to just overwhelm your soul that you can't wait to be in the house of God praising him. Amen? Man, I want you to come. I want you to be a part. I want us to be a part of our Father's work and overwhelmed here. And then look at this next section, verse 24. Jesus left Galilee, went north to the region of Tyre, and he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Remember I told you last weekend, poor Jesus. Everywhere he went, they already knew where he was going. They, they were already there. They were already bugging him. They were standing in line. They wanted stuff. It was amazing. Right away, a woman who heard about him, she came, she fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. She begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And since she was a Gentile born of a Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children, my own, fam my own family and the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs or the crumbs under the table. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs on the table were allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home. For the demons left your daughter. 
And when she arrived home, she found a little girl, her little girl, lying quietly in the bed. And the demon was gone. Now, there's a lot that I could unpack if I had a lot of time. But here's this Jew, Jewish Jesus, that meets this woman. And she's desperate. And it's always a great place for you and me to be. Desperation. Because when we're desperate, we cry out. We have a need. And I found in my own life, when I'm desperate, that's when God does his greatest work. That's when he does his greatest works in this fellowship. And there's some people in this room right now that are desperate. Greg, just to pick on you because I pick on people I love. I remember when I first heard about you, y'all were on a basketball trip for your son to go to a school. And you had that stroke. You weren't planning for that stroke to hit. And it, boom, it hit you out of nowhere. And, man, you got desperate for something, didn't you? And this morning, to see you over there, I'm just thinking about the goodness of God Almighty. Amen? And Greg came walking in here. I'm like, God, you're good. I mean, I'm the first time I met Greg in here, man. He came in his pickup, and he came in the hall and talked to me. He's, you know, real lean, great-shaped guy. You think, man, that guy, he don't have strokes, man. Only heavy people have strokes. Well, that's not true, is it, Greg? But God is faithful. And move on here with me. So here's this woman, and a refreshing change comes to her. Here's a word I'd write in your worship guide if you want to write a note. Lord, help me. See, in my prayer time, that's one of the words I call Jesus. Jesus, you're my helper. And if you know me, you know I'm a mess. I need all the help I can get. And don't start laughing. I know you. And some of you need help too. Turn to the person next to you and say, why don't you pray that prayer that preacher just said, you need help. Just turn to the person next to you and say, you need help. Anybody get slapped? Okay. We do, man. We're, we're a mess. We need a touch. We need God to help us. And this woman, she wasn't thinking about, you know, I could get in there and see the miracle worker. She knew that Jesus had the power. And she pressed through and she overcame every ritual and every tradition, unclean, whatever, barriers that were in front of her. But she had an inner response. She had to go. And the scripture says, and there she fell at his feet. She fell at his feet. And Jesus did something magnificent. You know, for you and I, it starts the same place. You admit you've got a need. And you cry out to a holy God, God, I have messed this up. <laughs> and, of course, I don't hear this coming back, but I, I'm surprised I don't. Yeah, you have. I mean, how, you ever felt that in your prayer time, like when you're crying to God, God, I blew it, God, I was unmerciful, God, I was unkind, God, I did this. And he's like, yeah, you did. I mean, I, I think it just messed me up if God spoke audibly to me on that. But in my spirit, I know, Lord, I have missed what you have for me. And God, help me. Help my unbelief. Help me to help. Help me to seek you. Help me to find you. Help me to do the right thing, God. Help me to be a blessing. God, help me to be your mouthpiece. God, help me to be a light to a dark world. God, just help me. I just want to worship you. But here it is, this woman here. She can't get into the house. She's desperate. She's in this condition, possessed by this unclean spirit, overtaken by evil, that she cries out. And as we discovered almost every week, Jesus meets us there at that point of contact, of desperation. I think that's the point I'm trying to make today is just uh, desperation, her boldness. See, living faith is not theological assent and you believe in a set of principles. It's when you are much deeper than knowledge and you just open your heart up and say, God, 
please change me, invade me, do something in me, God. This morning, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would be surprised if there aren't people that hear my voice today that'll go, man, you're preaching to me, preacher. It's me. I'm standing in the need of some prayer. I'm standing in the need of change. I need God to touch me. I need God to change me. And God can do that. Right here this morning, in this very place, God is here in the house. Amen? And he can touch you right now. Just boom. You come out of here like, man, I don't know what happened. But I got in the presence of Jesus this morning. I didn't go there looking for him. But he was there. And I cried out to him. Oh, I pray that you would think about that today. The hope of Christ. The breaking the, the power of this evil in our life. Now let's move to the last section. Some of you are saying, this preacher, is he going to get through? I'm going to get you out of here. We're going to be all the Baptists to lunch. You're going to like me still. It's going to be a good day. How many of you want to beat Baptists to lunch? That's my slogan, beat all the Baptists to lunch. i got a lot of Baptist preacher friends, and I tell them that. And they all, but, you know, I just figured out that's why they don't ever call me back to have lunch again. I, I, keep, I keep making fun of them. No, we did. We still have lunch. And a couple of them said, I wish I could go to lunch with you. We'll start your service earlier or don't preach so long. Okay, verse 31 through 37. I got, I got to watch. I'm about to talk about preaching long. I can preach. All right, here you go. Verse 31. Jesus left Tyre, went to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee, the region of ten towns. And a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hand on the man to heal him. Now, I've told you before, I had a serious speech impediment till I was five years old, and they clipped my tongue, and it worked. And some of you are like, I wish I'd have known you before five years old. Well, shame on you. Okay, here we go. God loosened my tongue and I hadn't shut up. Okay, verse 33. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into his man's ears and then spitting on his own fingers. Now, let's stop right there. This is one of the weirdest, oddest miracles of Jesus Christ. He spit. And I got to tell you, man, he spit on him. He spit in his hand. He touched his tongue. He loosened it and he healed him. And it's awesome. It's supernatural. And I don't encourage you to go spit on your hands, okay, and touch people. I mean, that's, you know, we were already talking about ceremonial washing and being aesthetic and uh, or antiseptic and being clean or hear this. But look what Jesus does. Spitting on his fingers, he touched the man's tongue. He looking up to heaven, and he goes, and he says this Aramaic uh, word, and he goes, be open, and instantly the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly, and Jesus told the crowd. Now, this is what's amazing when you get to this thing. Jesus takes this guy, and he takes him in private. He pulls him off to the side, and he begins to have a conversation, and he does that for him, which he needs to loosen his tongue, and, and I think it's awesome because this guy's deaf and, uh, you know, and can't speak, and he, he's in a tough place. And yet Jesus has got something awesome for him. A lot more than his healing, I believe. And his healing was pretty phenomenal. But look what he says. He gets in there. He, he, and so he spits on his hand and he invades with his power, with his presence on this guy's tongue and his ears. And life is never the same again. But move here, verse 36. And then Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to do the... Two, the more they spread the news. Anybody ever told you, now, I don't want you to do this. Uh-huh. What's the first thing you go do? Is, 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 doesn't that happen a lot of times? Now, now don't do this. Well, I'm just going to tell 10. Just 10. Just 20. Just 30. Just one. 
Well, here, Jesus, it's just not his time yet. He knows when they start telling, man, his ministry is going to supersize. It's going to go off the chart, and it does, and there's busyness, and it's craziness. But I just found it interesting here that he tells him, and the, the news spread. Verse 37, they were completely amazed, and they said again and again, everything he does is, say it with me, everything he does is wonderful. Let's say wonderful together. Let's say it like we mean it. Wonderful. That's what our God is. He's a wonder God. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful Father. Oh God, you do all things well. You do all things beautiful. And God, you're a healer. You're a sanctifier. You're a redeemer. You're my God here. And I love this section where life invades and these people aren't quite. I mean, you've got to figure, man, Jesus is just in this incredible feat. They can't wait to go tell somebody. Like, well, yeah, you know, every time Jesus shows up, things change. I keep writing about that. Every time Jesus Christ shows up in the scriptures, things change. And let me tell you something good. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when Jesus shows up here, when he shows up in your life, things are better. Things are wonderful. I know that experientially. Because I remember when Christ showed up for the first time in my life that I bowed and was desperate for him. It got different. And to this day, I'm going to declare that every time I have a platform, that Jesus Christ is a wonderful redeemer and friend and savior and rescuer and deliverer. And yes, as I say that, I want to fill in one little thing and I want us to do something I think is going to be so powerful today. Because Jesus meets us where we are. He meets us here. I want you to fill in these points here because you're like, well, pastor, you didn't give it to me. Effective ministry, I want you to fill it in. Ready? Fill this in with me. Effective ministry always requires prayer. And we're going to have prayer in just a moment. And prayer is powerful because behind that prayer is a powerful God. And God answers prayers of the righteous. And he has the ability to do the supernatural, what we ask. The sovereign Lord of creation. He has authority over his earth. He has authority right now in Germany. He has authority on that Mexico team. He is right now working in Mexico. He is right now in Montgomery working in our city and all the earth. Number B. Letter B. Yeah, I went to school a lot of years. I just said the, the number B. Man, that was dumb. All right, letter B. He had compassion. And compassion builds bridges and our students are going to be compassion builders in Mexico. You are building bridges for Jesus. These families, this community will be touched by y'all's presence. Some people will understand that y'all worked and saved money and did a lot of things to come to their village to build a house. Every time I go down there and I build a house from a part of a house, I weep on Thursday. Y'all remember this on Thursday when you complete. It will be one of the most powerful days of your life when you give away a gift with compassion. Point C, personal involvement. You students are doing that. We get involved. God encourages, calls us to encourage and serve where we can. And D, bold proclamation wherever you go of the gospel. God, I'm going to proclaim you where I go because I'm yours. I'm going to tell my story. Here's what I want to do right now. 
I've already had one young man come up to me before the service, and I don't want to freak any of you out, but I'm going to tell you, this is a house of prayer. Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer, and I never will apologize for that. And this morning, I already knew we were going to pray for you, Robin. So I'm going to ask you in a moment to stand up. Robin's having surgery tomorrow about noon, noonish, thereabout. And we're asking for the healer to touch her. Greg, we'd just like to pray over you. You stay right where you are, man. We're just giving praise and thanks. And if you've got specifics, people will gather and pray for you. Noah, you asked me this morning, would the, would the elders come and pray for me? So Dave, are you, there you are, if you'll go and find Noah. Right now, this is just, you're saying, this is kind of weird. No, this is just biblical. It's just, we're a house of prayer. How many of you need prayer this morning? Okay, about six of us. Okay. And, uh, and if you need prayer right now, you could stand up. But right now, Robin, if you'll stand where you are. People want to, Donna, if some of y'all got in there, some of y'all gather around Robin. Noah, you stand. Dave, would, Dave, you and other Dave and Bob, all y'all, y'all gather around Noah. Tim, will you gather around Noah right there? You and Dave, pray for him. Hey, uh, Greg, I hope you'll come back. I hope I don't scare you to death. But man, I just got to be bold. We just want to pray for you. That'd be good. Want to receive prayer? Susan, want some of you? Hey, brother. Y'all go over and pray for Greg. Some of you just get, Blake, I know you'll lead the charge. Jamie, why don't you go over there and just pray for Greg? Hey, anybody else just want to receive some prayer? That's how I want to end today. We've talked about these great miracles of Jesus. But right now, we just want to have some prayer. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for the healer, Jesus. I'm grateful that people pray right now where they are. Y'all can pray out loud if you want to in your groups. Feel free. There are people praying in the spirit and spirit and truth. God, I pray that you would touch these people that I've called by name. And they would love you, healer, more than they love the healing. God, we pray for Greg, God, all that you've done, the road that he's taken. It's been so long and so far to go, but God, you're gracious. Make him whole, Jesus. God, for Robin, deliver her from this cancer. Eradicate the cancer cells in Jesus' name. May tomorrow be the beginning of her healing in the name of Jesus. For Noah, Father, as once pray over him now, meet him there, Father in his deepest need and desperation. You're in this house. We've come to praise you. We've come to depend on you, Lord. Lord, we didn't come to be entertained. We came to be taught the word of God. Lord, you're faithful and just. And you hear our prayers. God, would you move in this fellowship today? in mighty ways. May we see your, your work in our lives, in the lives of our friends. Lord, we need you, and we call out in faith today. Give us faith that pleases you. Help us to have some good traditions, but help us to never put traditions over your commands. May your commands always be supreme. Father, thank you for another good week that you carried us and you provided and you sustained us. Father, you're good. You're just and holy. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this room. Lord, lead us. Not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, 
the power and the glory forever. And God, we look forward to when we gather again and we hear reports, reports from the front line of healings and mission and our Mexico students. We magnify you. Come, Lord Jesus. We need grace.